Amen. Thank you, Brother Dan. The title of our lesson this morning is The Worthy One. Our family theme is the fact that God is worthy of our worship. Our objective is to worship God for who He is and what He has done. Now, I often think about that when I do my prayers and uh, every morning. And the fact of the matter is, God is worthy of our worship simply because of who He is. Isn't that true? And the added benefit is what He does. Uh, of course, He's done so much for us. We'll be in Revelation, Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5 this morning. We have two key truths. God, number uh Number one is God, our holy creator, is worthy of worship. I look at that and I'm thinking, wow, now wait a minute. Paul said in Colossians that Jesus is the one that created everything. What's, what's the conflict there? Yeah, there you go. Jesus is God. And of course, they're all three were involved in creation. Second key truth is also a little bit puzzling. God, our crucified Redeemer, is worthy of worship. I thought Jesus was the one crucified. He's God. Amen. So we've got to remember that. He is God. And we're going to talk more about the triune God as we go through our lesson today a little bit. Under our Bible basics, we're encouraged to memorize uh, the last part of Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. And it will be part of our lesson today, by the way. And the Bible says, They rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was, is, and is to come. Of course, that is about uh, the four uh, beasts crying around the throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, by the way, isn't it true it's hard to find words to describe God to the fullest? So what does our lesson fit? Uh, John had this vision sometime around in the mid-A.D. 90s. And, of course, uh, he was uh, in exile on the Isle of Papa. But nonetheless, he has a wonderful privilege of being caught up to heaven and getting a glimpse of what heaven is right is like. So on our uh, get started today, uh, what are some of the beautiful, majestic, awe-inspiring sights that you've seen? Not you, Rick. I'm not asking you. Okay, creation itself. Okay. Do what now? Why would you say that? Oh, for Rick? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, okay, and they are. Okay, somebody else. Would you have, I'm assuming you've seen it. Both sides. What did you think the first time you saw it? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, first time I saw the ocean, uh, uh, Edna and Charlie went with us. I, Charlie, that was your first time to see the ocean or not. At the time we went down, what the, was that the first time you saw the ocean or not? Okay, but anyway, when I saw it, I man, there's a lot of it. <laughs> a lot of it. Uh, somebody else? Some of the sight you've seen this kind of... Oh, yeah, isn't that true? Yeah, all that. I think another thing that we saw we were really fat was the uh, uh, 
Now my mind went blank. What's the big waterfall? Niagara Falls. There you go. Uh, that was that's awful amazing to see that. Uh, and in fact, the, the the matter is, we live in an amazing world. Who created that? God did. He's a wonderful creator. Well, today, hopefully, we're going to discover. Uh, I think probably the, one of the most amazing sights anyone could ever see. Because John is given a glimpse of heaven. Now, by the way, before we begin today's getting a verse by verse study of it, uh, one thing that uh, kind of crossed my thought pattern this week as I went through this, uh, probably on Tuesday, I forget what day it was. But anyway, uh, you know, Paul was caught up to heaven. Isn't that true? And But what did God tell him basically not to do? Yeah, don't write it down. John is called up to heaven. And, of course, God wants him to write it down. Now, if we ask why, what's the answer? He's God. He does what? Amen. Okay. And that's the only answer. He does whatever he wants whenever he wants to. Uh, let's begin in chapter 4. Let's read the first 11 verses. Thank you, Dan. Now, again, just a quick uh, question. What is the title of the book we're reading from today? 
Say it again, Dan. Okay. Revelation. Now, a lot of people say revelations with an S on it. Why is that not right? Well, not what it said exactly, but that's a good point, Dan. But it's, it's one revelation, okay? It is the, the entire book is one revelation that John receives from God. And you're right, Dan, it's not what it says either, okay? Now, it's interesting, uh, in verse 1, uh, John said, I saw a door open in heaven. And, and by the way, I wonder how that happened. I wonder who opened the door. God did. Only God can open that door. But John said he saw a door open in heaven, and he heard a voice. It said, come up hither. Now, I must confess, a lot of uh, premillennials like I am would use that verse uh, to indicate the rapture. Uh, that's a weak argument because uh, nothing is mentioned about the church here. But nonetheless, John is invited to go and to come up to heaven. Now, also understand, the first voice he hears is not the voice of God, it's the voice of Jesus. And again, the voice sounded like a trumpet. Now, can you imagine what John saw when he got there? <laughs> Amen. That's all we can do. Is I love that, Wayne. Now, here's what's interesting. John was seeing it, but as we read, Dan, as you read, John's having trouble describing it. wonder why. Absolutely. <clears throat> exactly. There's someone who's never seen it. Right. And so, Dan, I think you're right. I think the thing is, John has seen something he's never seen before. And like Wayne said, can't even imagine. Now, by the way, uh, Revelation is filled with some symbolism. And one of the statements that some people have made is, when common sense makes good sense, seek no other sense. Now, but some is symbolic and some is not. I, I believe that what John sees here is literal. He saw a throne in heaven. That's the first thing he sees. Now, it's interesting. As John unfolds this vision in chapter 4, he describes different creatures that are all around the throne. But my question is, of everyone that's there, where is their focus? Say it again. On the throne. It is on the throne. And so John's attention is drawn there. And can you imagine, Dan, you talked about it a moment ago. 
he saw one sitting on the throne. And by John's own testimony, the appearance of the one on the throne was beyond description, beyond comprehension. Paul would write to the church at Corinth, he saw things were not lawful for him to even speak about. Ezekiel, in chapter 1 and chapter 10 too as well, had a vision of the throne of God. And the same is true in all of those cases. And so, we have to agree, folks, it is impossible for us to even imagine what John saw. That sight was so overwhelming. I mean, John himself is struggling to describe what he saw. The sights, the sounds, the emerald rainbow, flashes of lightning, thunder, flames of fire. And John said before the throne was a sea as clear as crystal glass. Would you read John's over? Would you agree he's overwhelmed? John is absolutely overwhelmed. You remember in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah saw the throne room of God? How did it affect him? He said, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. But whether it's here in Revelation, whether it's in Isaiah or Ezekiel, Daniel also in chapter 7 describes a throne. Each one of those involve things beyond description. They include some type of fire, sometimes burning coals or flames. You read about precious stones trying to describe either the throne or God himself. Lightning, stormy conditions, rainbows. In every account, there are angelic beings present. (laughs) And it's interesting, as the scriptures define these angelic beings, there are a lot of similarities, but there's also differences telling us there are different types of angelic beings. Sometimes they're called living creatures. They're called beasts here in Revelation 4 in the King James Bible. Uh, Sometimes they are called cherubim. Sometimes they're called seraphim. The wings vary from four to six wings. Sometimes they have four faces. But the faces are different. The face of a man, the face of a lion, the face of a flying eagle, the face of an ox, all included in different descriptions. But here's what I want you to understand. 
we'll be, we're never able to fully comprehend what John saw. And whether these faces are symbolic or literal, the Bible doesn't tell us either way. But again, because of the similarities, they are similar beings, but there's enough difference to tell they are not the same. And whatever capacity they serve in, whatever their function is, every one of them serve who? They serve God. And whatever God has called them to do, their main goal is to serve the one on the throne. So John sees someone sitting on the throne. He knows it's God. But John said around that throne were 24 seats. And on those seats were 24 elders. And they wore white clothing. And they all had a crown on their head. Golden crowns, the Bible says. Who are these elders? Can't all talk at one time. Who does the Bible say they are? The Bible doesn't say. The Bible simply doesn't say. Now, I know a lot of scholars would believe that the 24 would be made up of 12 apostles of the 12 tribes of Israel, describing both the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints. That's very possible, but the Bible simply doesn't say. But it does say they wore white garments, which probably indicates what? Righteousness. And they all had golden crowns on their head. Now, if you remember last week, last week we talked about the word crowns in the, in the book of Revelation. And there are two words used. One is Stephanos, and the other is diadem. Stephanos is a crown that you earn uh, in a, we would call it an Olympic game today. But in the games in that day and time, you won that Stephanos. You earned it. The diadem is the crown of royalty, and it's only missing three times in the book of Revelation. Two are for the beast and the dragon. They're both cast down because it wasn't, they weren't really worthy. And the only one that's worthy was the king of kings, his crown. So that's the only three times a royal crown is mentioned. So here it's a Stephanos. It is a crown they earned a victory, a crown of victory. It's a mark of achievement, not a mark of royalty. But let me ask you the question. Whoever those 24 elders were, knowing what they know, experience what they experienced, would they rather have the Stephanos or the diadem? The Stephanos. Because it's a crown of of achievement. Now, we don't know for sure 
who these 24 elders were. But one thing we do know, we know why they were there, and that's to worship God. They were there to worship the one on the throne. Now again, we have to be honest. There are a lot of things in the book of Revelation that are puzzling. Isn't that true? And John mentions the seven spirits before the throne. Now we speak of the Godhead. We speak of the Father, the Son, and who else? The Holy Spirit. Now in the Bible, the number seven is often uh, symbolic of perfection or completeness. First time we see that uh, principle is that when God created the heaven and the earth, uh, now, creation is six days, but on the seventh day, he rested. So the creation week, it was complete. It also represents uh, the perfection of God. But also, we have to remember, everywhere else in the Bible, I mean, for the most part, not everywhere, there are a couple of different times we'll read this, but when the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit, it's clear there is only one Holy Spirit. So don't, don't miss that. Uh, not seven Holy Spirits. But here's what's interesting. The Holy Spirit is not limited, if you will, to a physical body. And because He is God, He is omnipresent. And by the way, we see it in chapter 5 when uh, John talks about the seven eyes of the Lamb. And so when the Bible talks about the seven spirits of God, the idea here is uh, the perfection and the fullness of God's Spirit. And please understand, He is complete. He is perfect. We also know that in the Bible, uh, God the Spirit is often described as a fire. And so the seven flames of fire around the throne, we're not talking about a lamp here uh, because uh, they, the Holy Spirit doesn't need a lamp, but the Holy Spirit is a self-sustaining flame. What appeared on the day of Pentecost, do you remember? As they were gathered in that room, say it again. Yeah, tongues of fire. Now, don't miss that. Yes. He mentions them, but I don't think he just, now he may. I didn't really follow, but I do know he mentioned the seven spirits of God. But, but again, we have to understand there's only one Holy Spirit. But again, he's complete, he's perfect, and he can be all over the, he, omnipresent as well. I need to look that up, sure. I'm not sure about that. Uh, now again, even on the day of Pentecost when those tongues of fire showed up, it indicates a definite presence. 
But have you ever seen fire? I know you have. That's a dumb question, isn't it? But is fire uniform in its nature? No. And again, fire has no particular shape or body to it. Neither does the Holy Spirit. John also said that around the throne there were four beasts. Uh, these are, uh, some translations say, living creatures. And they were. Uh, one was like a lion. One like an ox. One had the face of a man. And one was like an eagle. What does that mean? What does that mean? Now, I have read commentaries who try to break that down and maybe give us symbolic meaning of that. But my question is, does John try to do that? No. John is simply doing what? I'm just He's describing what he saw. And I could be wrong about this. Jason left the room. I, I wish he'd stayed here for a minute. But I'm usually not wrong about Revelation. But he, he'd like that. But anyway, I'm, I'm kidding, of course. But I don't think John could have told you what they symbolized. I'm like Dan. All John is doing is saying, here is what I saw. This is what I saw. Now again, are they literal or symbolic? The Bible doesn't say. Different interpretations are involved in that. But here's what's interesting. Their function is absolutely clear. Because John says, all he saw them do was to cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and is to come. That is their function. Now, again, let me say something about that. (coughs) I don't know what all these faces represent for sure. But I do know who created them. Who created them? Who was that? It was God. Now, I do know God created them for his purpose. We can't deny that. And their purpose is to worship the almighty God. Now, remember, John's watching all of this. Now, by the way, uh, the Bible, John says I was in the Spirit, I think about four times, if I haven't, if I'm not counting that wrong. We see that in the Bible, in Revelation, I mean. And uh, here's the thing. For John to see what he sees, he can only see it through the Spirit. He has to be in the Spirit. So John sees these winged beast creatures, if you will, continually proclaiming the glory of God. 
And then John said, when that happened, what did the elders do? Ah, yeah, they fell down, they bowed, and they worshipped God. They fell down and worshipped God. Now, hold on. Remember, when John first gives that description, he said they're wearing white robes, and they had golden crowns on their head. (laughs) They had those crowns, but yet they fell down. Now, remember, those are crowns of a mark of earning something. But what did they do with those crowns? What did they do with the crowns? They gave them to God. Now, I don't know for sure, but in my mind, they had earned... That's Stephanos. But what I see here is the admission of the fact without God's grace, we could never earn them, so we're going to give it back to God. We're going to give it back to God. That's just my opinion. They cast their crowns before his throne, and they begin to declare that, God, you are worthy You're worthy to receive glory, honor, and power because you created all things. Now, hold on, okay? John sees these 24 elders, white robes, crowns. They've earned that spot. So did they say, wait a minute, angels, you need to worship us too? No. They cast those crowns off, fell before the throne of God, and said, you're the one. You are the one. They praised him because he is the creator of all things. He is worthy of our praise. The Bible over and over again affirms that God is worthy to be praised for his work of creation. In the book of Job, Job mentions that The angels were there when God created heaven and the earth. And they expressed a joyful praise to God. The Bible also says that the heavens were made by his word. Psalm 33 tells us that God spoke everything into existence. By the way, when God wanted light, what did he do? Yeah, let there be light that was created. He spoke it into existence. I read Psalm 104 today, or yesterday, this week sometime, I'm sorry, uh, preparing for this lesson as part of our study. But it, it's an, the, the entire psalm is a praise uh, to God for all that He's created and how He provides. Also, Psalm 139, I read it every day, uh, is a psalm. Uh, David says, you knew me. Uh, when I was formed in my mother's womb, uh, you, you, you knew me uh, because uh, you alone create life. The New Testament, without a doubt, uh, tells that Jesus was active in creation. We mentioned that a moment ago. Uh, in fact, uh, Paul in Acts 17 
uh, told there to told those people on Mars Hill, it's in Him we we move and we exist. We have our existence in Christ. Uh, Colossians 1, uh, 16 and 17, Paul said, Christ is before all things, and by Him all things consist. So everything was created by Him and for Him. So my question is, is it appropriate for all of creation to praise Him? Yes. Absolutely appropriate. The God who created everything, He sustains everything. He is before all things, Paul said, and by Him all things consist. Anybody go to bed last night? I did. Anybody get sleep last night? I did. Okay. Did anybody go to bed last night worrying about while we were sleeping that the world might stop spinning? Why don't we have to worry about that? Who controls it? God does. Did you worry or not last night whether or not the sun would come up this morning? No. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 1 verse 3 reminds us that God upholds the universe. Without a doubt, he's got the whole world in his hands. Another thing we can praise Him for is the variety and the beauty of creation. One of my ex-neighbors, when we lived in Summerside area, he told me one time, he said, you know, if, if everybody liked the same thing, it'd be a boring world. Um... Anybody here remember the day when you had a black and white TV in your home? What what did things look like? <laughs> yeah, there you go, Paul. Wasn't no big screen for sure, was it? But aren't you glad that we don't live in a world of gray? Now, our, our my first patch of Wooly Booth. If you want to know why the the pews are green. You wonder why we used to have green carpet? His theory was God must love green. He made the grass green. So, you know, but the fact of the matter, we live in a world of variety. And our world uh, was created in vivid color. And God gave us a body, created a body, if you will. And we were able to not only see it, but recognize and appreciate the beauty of the world we live in. And it doesn't matter what season it is, there is a variety of beauty there. And by the way, there's always reasons to praise God. Always. Let's apply it. Worship God for His holiness and His creative power. Our discussion question is this. What 
sets God apart from us? What sets him apart from us? His holiness, exactly right. What about his perfect love? What about his creative power? Now think about this, folks. All of those creatures, those living beings, creatures, whatever they were, that John saw with the wings and the different phases, certainly that, that would strike awe in our hearts. But we're not to worship them. And they wouldn't let you because they don't deserve that worship. Only God deserves that worship because God is set apart from every other created being. So number one, God, our holy creator, he is worthy of worship. Number two, God, our crucified redeemer, is worthy of worship. Chapter 5, Revelation. Anybody want to read verses 1 through 14? John said, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, Sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open the book and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, <coughs> excuse me, weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals Thereof, and I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came, and he took the book. Out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb. Every one of them, I'm sorry, having every one of them harps and a golden vials full of odors which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And hast made for us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and there was a voice of many angels round about the throne, 
and the beasts and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Now remember, the chapters were added for us to be able to find verses way back in the Middle Ages. I'm glad they did that. There's no break between chapter 4 and chapter 5. John is trying to comprehend what he's seeing. The magnificent throne room of God and John is overwhelmed. And now he begins to notice other things going on in that throne room. The one on the throne, <coughs> the King James says, has a book. It's literally a scroll. And this scroll was sealed with seven seals. And it was written on, the, on both sides. Now, in that culture, a lot of... Uh, they written on scrolls and papyrus paper, some kind of, most like that. And they would be sealed either with wax, drops of wax, or clay. And then some kind of stamp of the, the authority who sent it out would be embedded in that. Some of those scrolls were could have been 30 feet long. But nonetheless... The scroll was sealed. Meaning what? Never been, that's right, Dan. It's never been opened. And the fact of the matter is, the one in authority sealed it. So only one who is willing to represent that one who sealed it can unseal it. But the fact of the matter of it being sealed tells us right away there's something important in that scroll. So they begin to search for somebody worthy. Who they find? No, wait a minute, Wayne. What do you mean? No, they looked on in heaven. They looked on earth. They looked under earth and found who? No one. No one worthy. What was John's reaction? He what? He started to weep. He realized there's something important here and, and no one is worthy. John is weeping and all of a sudden 
one of the elders, we don't, don't know which one it was, stood up. He said, hold on, John. Hold on, John. There is one worthy. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. By the way, when Jacob blessed his 12 sons right before dying, he identified Judah as a lion 12, a lion cub. So again, revealing messianic prophecy here. And Christ was the one. Jeremiah prophesied of a righteous branch. Isaiah prophesied of a righteous branch. Paul himself tells us that Jesus Christ is that righteous branch. But it's interesting. When John turned, he didn't see a lion. He saw what? A lamb. The lion became the slain lamb. And he is worthy, was worthy, to break those seals and open that scroll. Now, by the way, the lamb was a new detail. Picture of the Passover lamb. Jesus fulfilled all of that, even the Day of Atonement. But also, my question would be, what in the world was in that scroll? The answer is simple. The rest of the book of Revelation. Because as each one of those is unsealed, we read about it in the rest of the book of Revelation. So we worship God because of His creative power. But we also worship God and that's our application for his redeeming sacrifice. Folks, God is worthy of our worship. So my question would be, do, you have, do I have any time left, Jason? Okay, let's do one question. We know the lion of the tribe of Judah, the slain lamb, was Jesus Christ. Why? Was he the only one worthy to take and open that scroll? Say it again. What do you mean he had no sin? Absolutely. He was the only one who was perfect. He was the only one who had a sinless life. But also he's the only one who shed his blood to make it possible for everyone to be saved. No wonder. They call him the Savior. Let's all stand together. Next week, we're going to finish up this quarter, by the way. And we'll be going to Revelation 21 and 22. And we're going to look at the time when our hope will be made sight. Father, thank you for your precious word. We worship you because you're the creator. We worship you because you are our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless each one of you.